Trade Talks, bringing you the best of the buy side. So welcome back to the Trade Talks podcast. This is our second episode. Usually we do this in a lovely studio with very good mics, but we're all at home like you guys. So joining me on the other line is Haley. Hello, Kaius. How are you? Working from home. Oh, I'm enjoying it. Getting a bit of sun in the garden. You know, I'm working in the kitchen very close to the food. So that's the silver lining in this situation. But yeah, just uh, powering on and <laughs> getting through it. Um, it is quite interesting to note that the weather has changed dramatically since we've all been put on lockdown, which uh, is pretty typical for, for London weather, I, I assume. But yeah, it's, it's been weird sort of trying to you know, get to grips with working from home. And it's been about two weeks, I think, hasn't it, Kaya, since we yeah. started working from home? Two uh, weeks in, and I'm going a little crazy, but <laughs> I have this lovely podcast to keep me entertained and busy. So yeah. I'm just going to list some of the topics we're going to go through today, what we're going to be talking about. Brilliant. So we have some exciting news about a magazine being released. And also then we're going to go over some of the news, which will be corona-related. We'll be talking about six uh, buying out BME. Uh, and then we also have a special guest, Barney Nelson from the Value Exchange. He's going to be talking about the grey cost per trade survey. So very nice. Stick to the end to get all the results from that. So yeah, let's go into the first bit of news, which I have, is that Q1 magazine for 2020 is hitting trading discs early in April. Yes, that's right. So the trade magazine Q1 edition is available online. You can all read this for free at thetradenews.com. And for our readers as well, we all know that a lot of you like ourselves are working from home. So if you would like us to send you a magazine to your home address, we are more than happy to do that. So please reach out to us at subs at thetradenews.com and we can arrange that for you certainly it's a really fantastic issue um you know we've got jeremy ellis um head of european equity trading at t row on the cover and he's joined by the rest of his equity trading desk so group cover interview for this one uh definitely worth checking out uh but yeah really really happy with it really pleased and also there's a congratulations due for you, Haley, because this is your first edition as the official editor of The Trade. So it came out very, very good looking, uh, the magazine, uh, very good articles in there. And yeah, congratulations, Haley. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's really exciting to be able to officially announce that um, I am the new editor at The Trade. I think a lot, some people knew already, but um, yeah, it's official. And the uh, first issue with myself as editor has been published. So yeah, onwards and upwards, lots of exciting things happening at The Trade. So go grab yourself a copy and we're going to go into the news right now. So the news, it has been flooded by coronavirus. It seems that you can't escape, but let's talk about what's been happening in the industry. A lot of people are delaying products. One, for example, is ASX. They have been forced to delay the rollout of their post-trade blockchain system. Now, this has been planned to be released for some quite some time now, but like everyone else, it's been kind of delayed and pushed back to 2021. Yeah, I think this is interesting. Um, the ASX uh, blockchain project is a big one. It's been ongoing for a couple of years. Uh, they they hit a few snags in the timeline um, in 2018, I believe it was. They they delayed the rollout of that. But with coronavirus now, it's really. I expect it will be really impacted um, in terms of the timeline for this. And it's not just projects and 
products that are being delayed and postponed. Um, Caius, there's other regulatory issues uh, that, that you've been writing about this week as well. So the industry has been calling on regulators to postpone initial margin timelines because of the coronavirus pandemic. They were scheduled to roll out this phase five in September 1st, 2020, and then phase six was coming in the 1st of September, 2021. Now, what they are saying is basically, we cannot keep up with this timeline because all our efforts are now focusing on the coronavirus pandemic. Also, they have people working from home, which is put a hiccup for everyone in the business. And they have got a fear that people may fall sick. So they are just making contingency plans. But they have basically written to the regulators through the ISDA saying that we need to work together to postpone this uh, timeline so people can get on with business and try and survive, really. Yeah, I think this is interesting. It's also interesting that it's not just ISDA that's written to authorities on this matter. It's ISDA along with 20 other trade associations. So this is an industry-wide call here for for regulators to look again at the timeline for the initial margin um, phases five and six. And I think it's, you know, when you consider the situation at the moment, it makes perfect sense that you know, these firms aren't working towards these deadlines at the moment. There, There is a lot more um, pressing matters at hand, shall we say. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the um, initial margin requirements delayed, um, postponed um, or suspended. However, however, the uh, the authorities might do that. But I can I, I can definitely see that that happening. Um, and it's interesting, you know, it's it's not just initial margin, but um, Kaius, I know you you wrote about the the LIBOR transition, which has just been ongoing for years, it seems. Um, and the Bank of England even said this week, didn't they, Kaius, that um, they expect that timeline will also be be affected by the coronavirus. Yes, they did say that, but they did tell people to keep the April 2021 deadline target still. So they're say, not saying to people like, look, we are delaying it, but keep to the target. But they have said, yeah, do expect delays. So it's a bit of a funny one there. I mean, like you said before, like with the regulators in this situation, you know, people do have to throw some bones to the industry because, it's a very hard predicament. Like you said, Libra has been going on for a while now. And as well with this one, people are at different stages of the transition to Sonia. So I think they're just kind of understanding that they will have to give some leeway because people are at different levels. Yeah. So yeah, that one's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, we also had a story this week, um, which I and I, I'm pretty sure that we will see many more headlines like this in the future. Um, ABN AMRO, the Dutch bank, confirmed that it it will incur a significant $200 million loss. Uh, And this is after a single client failed to meet margin calls on uh, US uh, options and futures trades. And they had to close out the position and incur the loss, um, which is is substantial. Um, They're saying it's going to hit their first quarter earnings this year. Um, but yeah, Kairos, I, I expect to see a few more headlines along this line um, very soon. So yeah, just keeping to this, the FESE has urged the European Exchange to remain open uh, despite uh, the coronavirus. What they're saying is don't shut markets. Uh, we had it also in the US where uh, they were thinking about shortening trading hours. Again, people from the industry, we were making calls to them to say that this is a bad idea. 
And also over here in our home country of Britain, we had it today as well. Uh, we had the buy side calling for markets to remain open in a letter to the FCA and the Bank of England. And again, they're saying the same things that it will damage the industry more than protect it. Yeah. So it's a very funny one. It seems like everyone is still wanting to, the business to continue running. Everyone's still working from home, trying to get things out. But this calls, you know, we have it in Europe, we have it in Britain and, the, and in America. So it's interesting to see where this will go. Will they put shorter trading hours in or will they just close markets? It's very interesting to see. And yeah, I'm sure some more people will be writing these letters to their exchanges, urging them to remain open. They, they need to continue serving their, their clients. And if markets close, that will be, you know, near impossible to to do. So it, it, it's no surprise, really, that um, we've had this kind of um, reaction from the industry. Um, you know, I, I certainly can't see markets closing, but, you know, I, I wasn't expecting to be put on lockdown in London. So you never know. <laughs> yes, me too. I mean, it came quite fast, I think, for everyone. It but did. <laughs> it seems like a lot of people actually uh, in the industry have actually taken the, cri- the correct measures. I mean, they've done very well to set up all their employees working from home. And there's been also this kind of funny trend going on Twitter, sending us their home office. I mean, my lovely home office is a yoga mat in the garden and my kitchen table. So... <laughs> Yeah, why don't we do that? Why don't you guys send us some pictures on uh, Twitter of your home office? I'll post mine to get the things rolling. And yeah, uh, yeah, we'll have a bit of fun with this. Yeah, but great idea. I'm, I'm definitely up for that. You also have, um, you were talking about something with Six and Exchange, uh, buying out BME. That deal's yeah. been going on for a while. So let's let's catch up with that. Okay, right. So Six Group are closing in on the acquisition of BME, which is the Spanish Stock Exchange. So Many of you will remember this story from late last year. So Six Group um, officially confirmed, I think it was around November time, that they were looking to acquire BME for 2.8 billion euros. Um, And then shortly after, we had uh, pan-European exchange Euronext confirm that it was also looking to acquire the Spanish exchange group. Um, In the interim, we didn't really hear much, but this week... Six Group gained approval from the Spanish Economy Ministry. And then the day after that, they received the uh, approval formally from the National Securities Market Commission in Spain. So what this basically means is it's now up to the shareholders at BME to approve the offer. Uh, I'm expecting this to to move along smoothly. I don't think we'll see any any snags in the road but um yeah we'll be we'll be following it again closely but i expect the next story that we hear now will be once they've closed the deal um I, i'm not expecting anything from euronext at this point um although you never know we could see something happen now let's take a little time out from all this uh, corona heavy news and we're going to have our guest coming up next he is barney nelson from valve exchange and he's going to be talking about the gray cost per trade survey which we've been involved with yeah so a lot of the readers will know that we've been asking you guys to get in touch and uh, to participate in this survey so yeah barney's going to take us through some of the the uh, the, the key findings of that uh, and there's some interesting stuff to to be said about it Today, we are joined by Barney Nelson, Chief Executive of the Value Exchange. Hi, Barney. How are you? Hi, Heli. I'm good, thank you. How are you? 
Yeah, really good. It's uh, quite strange doing these from home, but uh, I'm pleased that we've sort of, you know, found a way around it. And uh, it's really great to have you um, involved in the podcast today. Well, thank you for inviting me. No worries at all. So uh, for our readers and listeners, I'm sure that some of you will have seen that we've been sharing Barney's survey uh, on the grey costs per trade. So Barney, tell us a little bit about that survey, what you were hoping to find out from that. So this is a, it's a big area for the industry. Cost per trade has, has been a bit of an old chestnut for years. But um, the point of this survey was really to take a fresh look at actually how we're calculating it and why. Um, just given everything that's happened in the last few years around MIFID, around uh, the, the kind of the, the, the total destruction of the brokerage model and to try and work out where we can go from here. It's really interesting, actually. I've, I've been uh, lucky to see some of the results. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the key findings of, of the survey. So for me, there are really three big areas of findings. I think the first one is that uh, cost per trade is, is such a key competitive differentiator now um, and something that people are really using for growth. It's not really about MIFID anymore. It's not even that much about uh, managing kind of internal um, metrics. But, you know, there's, there's a very, very strong slant now, particularly amongst brokers, to use uh, cost per trade metrics for um, sharing with clients, for driving real competitive differentiation. So there's more than 70% of, of, the, of the industry wants to and considers it important to be getting good cost per trade information. The real problem is that basically more than 30% of the industry is not getting it. Why is that? Generally, you've got uh, issues around uh, organizational structures. So basically, the information is just not flowing through the organization properly. Um, you've got a, a system problem in the fact that a lot of data sits in, in kind of isolated systems in different parts. But for me, probably more important than anything is the fact that you've got this balance of allocated costs versus direct costs. So we're all very used to tracking direct costs. But ultimately, um, almost, well, 42% of the, the cost of a trade comes through allocated costs. So there's some huge things in there in terms of capital cost, cost of risk, cost of HR and compliance, things like that. And that just completely throws off the total cost of a trade if you're only really tracking, you know, basically the bills that you're paying every day yourself. So it's, it, for me, it's, it's really interesting how those three areas um, really undermine the, the visibility of, of really what we are calling a cost per trade. Um, and, you know, to the point where you're looking at probably about 50% of the industry are tracking less than 30% of the real cost of a trade, if you look at it on, a, on an aggregate basis, um, which is pretty terrifying. You know, the top five, six things we're all tracking well, but beyond that, starts to get very patchy and back to the point about how we're using this information to make great inf you know great decisions about competitive differentiation about you know the future uh it really begs the question whether we're making the right decisions that's really interesting thanks barney um it's really surprising to hear some of those uh stats um you mm. know i mean particularly the fact that you've got 30% of the industry that that don't have any visibility on on trade costs um at all it's it's really interesting were you quite surprised by the findings 
Yeah, all of the data was more extreme than I expected, honestly. I mean, as I said, we've all been spending a good part of our last 10, 15 years on this topic, really. But uh, I think for me, what's, what's very interesting is that there's certain areas of organizations, particularly the CFO line, not surprisingly in compliance, who you know, have really gone up the curve very, very well on this. But there are other parts of the organization that just, it just the, that sophistication and advancement doesn't seem to have reached, particularly, I think, the front office and interestingly, the COO line as well. Um, where, you know, there's only about 50% of COOs see uh, value in getting kind of trade, cost per trade data um, or get it. So the, as I said, it's, it's, it's very interesting how the organization breaks down. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, Barney, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, and guys, feel free to reach out to Barney for more information on that survey. Uh, thanks again, Barney. Thanks. So that was our second episode. It was a bit of a weird one to do it from home. But Haley, how do you? What do you prefer? Do you prefer our nice, lovely studio, or do you prefer the comforts of your own home? I must say, Kaius, I prefer human contact. <laughs> I am missing everyone at work. Um, it's you know, it, it is very odd working from home and doing podcasts from home. Um, and I, and I, I, unfortunately, I think it's going to be a while until we'll be back in the studio as planned. Well, that's it. Exactly. I'm tired of just seeing faces through screens. I need some real human contact. Yeah. But you guys can get involved. You know, you can keep yourselves entertained by tweeting us on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at, at the Trade News and also on LinkedIn, the same at the Trade News. We'll post all our stories on there and also send us those home office pictures. And yeah, what about the magazine, Haley? Where can we get it? Yeah. So if you want a home delivery, then reach out to us at subs at thetradenews.com. And it is also available to read for free on our website, thetradenews.com. Well, that's it for the second episode of The Trade Talks. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to us rant and ramble. And thank you for lending us your ears. Trade Talks, bringing you the best of the buy side.